Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. We're really excited to start this new uh, series that I thought if there's a way of keeping people away from church as the church opens up is like pray for freezing rain on Sunday morning and then do a series called The Seven Deadly Sins and, and see who shows up. But some of you are here, so I'm proud of you. And those of you who are still not here, we know you're, you'll make it here soon. And if you forgot where the address of the church is, just go to our website. Wink, wink. Okay, so uh, we, we are starting this series. And, you know, I was really tempted as I thought about the series to maybe put a list up of the seven deadly sins. Maybe some of you know what they are. You, you've thought of this or you've read about them. It's kind of a really historical way that Christians have thought about the way sin grips our hearts. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about this idea of sin as we think about the theme of Lent. Now, if you've never heard of Lent, or that's kind of a new idea, it's not a word you'll find in the Bible, uh, but the idea of Lent is the theme of Lent is really shaped by the Scriptures. As Christians throughout the years, said we need a focused way to pay attention to how Jesus begins to move towards the cross. The way Jesus invites his disciples to enter a renewed kind of season of listening and that listening should lead, this is important if you're taking notes, that listening should lead to repentance. That listening should lead to wanting God to turn things around in our hearts. Actually, the name of our church, the 180, comes from that idea. It's to do a 180, to turn from our way of life, to turn from our selfish ways towards the things that God is calling us into. That's really at the heart of what Lent is. Now, if you read about this in the Bible, Lent is also that this is shaped in periods where Jesus is in the desert or where the people of God are in the desert. So d difficult times of discernment and seeking after God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to do that together. And we're going to do that together by looking at these seven deadly sins. And I, I was tempted to maybe have on the screen every week and each sin that we're going to look at each week, you know. And I thought that might kind of give you an out to not show up for the ones that you don't like, you know. So if I told you that today was on pride, you would have been like, I'm staying home for this one. Okay, I'm staying home. So I, I want to just warn all of you something that's been happening to me as I've been preparing and, and praying and just thinking about the series is as I start thinking about these kinds of sins, the ways these things have gripped my hearts, I always find that God not God, but I think my own sinful nature is that I think of someone who could use this sermon. It's so crazy. Like, I'll be like, my wife would really, she could really use this. Or I know somebody at our church that needs to deal with this problem. Or, or my kids need to hear this sermon. So let's just begin this series by just confessing that these sins are about us, are about things that we have to deal with, are about the things that God has to deal with in us. Now, I'm not saying that God has, doesn't have a way that as he deals with that in us, we can encourage someone else. Actually, if you're online, you know that we do this. We encourage you to share a, a sermon series or some teaching that, we, that, that might help someone. But, but I want to be careful that sometimes when we talk about these things, it sounds so much better when it's for someone else. 
someone that we think should get their life together. And especially this morning as we talk about pride and as we talk about the way pride creeps in, often known as one of the queen of the sins, like the, or the king, if you like that better. Some of you, you like that? Okay. Uh, uh, the, the highest of all sins, which all of them come from. I want to just highlight the way Jesus will bring to people's attention how important it is that we pay attention to the way, the way sin creeps into our lives in such a way where it destroys things from the inside out. That's what it does. It comes from the inside out, and when we catch up to where sin is at work in our lives, we almost sometimes feel like it's too late. I feel that part of what this series is going to be about, it's like getting that physical that you never want to get, but you know you need, right? It's like having to go to the dentist, but avoiding it at all costs. You know that experience? It's like, oh, you know, I really should check something's going on here, but I hate the dentist. And if you're like me, not only do I hate the dentist, but when my tooth hurts, I just start eating on the other side. Right? Like, I always have a way of not having to go there. Right? That's exactly why this series is so important. Because all of us have mastered ways to ignore, to set aside, to say it's someone else, to not have to deal with the deep things that God wants to teach us. And one of the things that Jesus is going to do as he's talking to his disciples, one day he's going to talk to the Pharisees and his disciples that are there, and he's trying to highlight how easy it is for sin to become something that we all know very, very well. Sin becomes about external things. Okay, maybe you've maybe thought of sin in this way. And I want to read a passage where si Jesus is trying to say sin is not just about things that are happening on the outside, the bad things that you might do that you feel bad about. Sin is actually something that's rooted deep inside of our hearts that kind of comes from the inside out if God doesn't heal us and set us free. And as Jesus is talking about this, this is what he says to his disciples to, in a sense, correct and help them think of this in a new way. This is what he says. He then, Jesus added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Wow, we need more than seven weeks, right? These are just some of the things that grow there, right? Jesus is saying all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Jesus is going to do this amazing thing. He's not going to say that there's not sinful things that we do that are outside, that we can see. But he's going to say it's so easy to just pay attention to the things that you can see and ignore that part of what you see is really kind of taking shape deep inside of another place, the root. The Bible will use the language of our hearts, even though our hearts is not like our heart, but the inner part of our lives. And Jesus is saying, well, we're going to talk about the inside of our lives. We're going to talk about the things that kill you from the inside out. Now, I have to start with a confession. You know, part of my experience growing up when I was really, really young and I was trying to make sense of sin, like if somebody asked me, what is sin? I'd be like, well, it's just don't do bad things. Or the famous saying is like things that violate God's nature, God's principles. I mean, you can come up with words that you would use. If you had to answer that question, what does sin mean? You'd be like... It's, it's bad. Like, I know that much, right? So let's just start there. And then you're like, well, well, how do I really explain this? And so I often learned that sin was all these external things. Like, for example, when I was young, I remember feeling it was a sin to wear a cap in church, okay? Or it was a sin to not wear a suit and tie on from the stage. Or think of the things that you would pick. They're external things that you connect to sin. Like, some of you know this. It's a sin to dance. Anybody? 
No? Okay. A lot of Pentecostals here. They're fine with that. Uh, uh, Willie, you got that. It's a, we have all these external things that we're like, oh, it's a sin to do that, or you notice not, it's, that's a sin. That's a sin. You shouldn't do that. They're, they're just external things. Now, those things might be that way, but what Jesus is going to help us understand and what this series is about is that God comes to destroy the root, not just the fruit. That might help you, okay? That we often think of the fruit out there. Oh, there's this thing I noticed that's connected to the sin, but we ignore the root of the problem. And then after a while, the fruit becomes even things that we don't like we put in the sin basket. We're like, oh, that's not, I don't like that, or I don't like when people do that. So that, that's a sin. And Jesus is like, be careful, because there's some things that you don't like that are not actually sinful. And he's going to deal with this with the Pharisees, who are like, your disciples don't wash their hands the way they should. They're like these things that we make up. So Jesus says, let's talk about the root of the problem. Let's go there first. And throughout the series, as we talk about these seven deadly sins, they're all kind of things that take us back to a root problem, not just the fruit that we point out when we see in someone else or in ourselves. And I often think about this idea because a few days ago, uh, I was talking to someone about getting a pet in our church. Rosie, if you're watching, I was talking to one of our little children at our church about a pet, and she said, Pastor Dom, you should get a turtle. She told me I should get a turtle, and I need to apologize. Many of you have pets. How many pet lovers here are watching online? I'm so mean to many of you. I make fun of your dogs. I make fun of you. So I want to let you know that this year, I'm really committed to getting a pet. And I thought for some of you, you might be really encu you're encouraged. And I would get this as a pet. You'll see it. It's like a special type of pet that I'm looking to get. And it's called the Black Lace Weaver. This is going to be great. My wife is going to love this. Our kids are going to love this. This is what I want. And some of you are like, I can't see that. But the Black Lace Weaver is such a unique spider that after it has children, it has baby spiders, the spiders eat their mom from the inside out. This is what this series is about. If you are trying to explain to anyone what it means to understand sin the way Jesus and the Bible talks about sin, it's this exact way. So no, no pet, no, cancel that. Two, get two, we're getting two. Anybody want one? I think we order lots. It's so easy, right? to make sin about something else. But this is really the image that the Bible invites us into to help us think about the way that our own sinfulness, our own desires to have our, our ways instead of God's ways, they eat us from the inside out. We can take the, the picture off so people don't panic and get the sweats. There we go. Better? As I thought about, as I thought about pride, I wanted to just begin by helping to define pride for us. And as we look at pride, it's, it's juicy. I mean, through seven weeks on pride. But pride is a word that's very hard for us in English to really feel the weight and the, the challenges of it because we use the word proud in so many ways. Like I'll say, I'm proud of my kids or I'm proud of our church. I'm so the word pride doesn't always mean something negative. It can mean something like joyful and we're really happy that that's going well. So traditionally, when Christians have thought about pride, there's another word that they use and I want to tell you what it is. And if you're writing down, you might want to write this down. The word is vain glory. That's the word. And one of the best ways to understand what pride is, pride is this commitment to love ourselves to death. Okay? Pride is this ability that sin convinces us that we are the center of everything and that we love ourselves to such a level that to the point that we are the center of everything, we matter more than anything, and in that process, we begin to love everything about ourselves to the point of death. Now, I want to show you how Jesus tries to correct this even when he teaches about these issues to his disciples, to us who are learning about following God. 
He tries to correct this by helping us understand what love really should look like as we love the Lord. Ooh. As we love and trust God in our lives. And I'm going to read a passage for you as we begin to talk about pride that many of you have heard. It, you, you, you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard this. If, if it's new to you, it's very, very simple. But let me read it for you. And this is what Jesus says. One day he's teaching about this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. See it up there? The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. One of the things that Jesus wants his disciples and his followers to understand is that one of the ways that we pay attention to pride in our life is to pay attention to what we love. And this might sound like really crazy to you, especially if maybe you're new, but it's a radical, radical statement in the Christian faith to believe that we were not created to first love ourselves. Okay, just remember that. To be a Christian is to understand that God created us first and foremost to love him first. And out of that love for him, we understand our place in God's story. And then as we love ourselves properly, we love our neighbor. Okay, so what pride does at its core is it reverses all of these loves and it disorders love in our heart. So our heart kind of gets confused about what love is. And actually we make loving our neighbor and loving ourselves and loving God, you know, they're all the same. You'll see this happen all the time. So pride at its core is almost flipping what Jesus says about love, where we love ourselves first, we love what we want first, we then maybe think about our neighbor because it might be a good thing, and then if we get to God, we're like, yeah, I don't even really know how to love God, but God will understand. It reverses the whole pyramid of how Jesus talks to us about love. Now, the reason I want to start by talking about love is that the Bible doesn't address sin and pride as a thing to make us leave here with the burden of like, you know, I grew up thinking about this, like, oh, I'm so guilty, I'm sinful, I'm never going to make it, God doesn't love me. No, no, God loves us. God loves us. And the reason that God cares so much that we deal with sin is because sin destroys the things that God loves and the things that God wants to do through us. And so I want to talk about this idea that pride at its core, when it's left unattended, makes us believe that we need to just love ourselves more or love ourselves better. And we have so many good words for this in our culture. We just want you to be, you just need to be more confident. You know, you just need to like believe in your success. You just need to like just, you know, pray for a breakthrough. Even in the church, we have great language for like all these things that at the end of the day are really putting us at the center of everything that God does. We should be the center of everything. If you remember anything, that to be a Christian is to embrace and understand that we were created to love God first. And Jesus teaches us how to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. He teaches us this. And from there, we love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Okay? It's just the right order. And pride is a disorientation of that order. Pride is the sense that we think that we, at the end of the day, are fine just you know, being the center of the whole story. And we can teach this to others. We can model this to others. We can tell stories to ourselves about others this way. Like, you know, how come people are not more like me? Do we need more of yous in the world? You don't need more of me's in the world. Trust me. What we need is to be people who model what it means that we love God first. And throughout this series, we're going to invite you and call you. Like every sin is really about, do we love God first? Do we love God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind? Do we have that first? And so Jesus, as he's teaching about some of these themes, he then one day does the most beautiful thing that Jesus loves to do. He's going to tell a parable. 
a parable is this spiritual story that Jesus will tell. He'll use them a lot with a spiritual meaning. And the spiritual meaning of the parable always has a twist. That's what makes parables so special. And so if you're following online or if you're here and you're writing down or you want to look up, I want to look at a parable that Jesus will deal with in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is the section where Jesus has a lot of parables in a row. If you're reading, if you're reading Luke and you're reading through the section, I encouraged one of our, our young adults this week to kind of spend Lent going through the gospel of Luke. You might want to do that. You know, you'll see that there's a pattern of parables and Jesus is trying to nail something at one and then he's going to bring it up again in another parable. So it takes a long time to, to go further in this. So I encourage you to read all of Luke if you can or at least all of chapter 14, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 just to get the feel of this. And then in, cha in chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell a parable. And this is how he begins that beautiful parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I'm going to give each of you three minutes to leave if you want to leave now. Can you imagine setting this up like this? To those who just found a way to see themselves as so wonderful in the eyes of God. They were, they, they were so confident in their being right and having the right perspective and that people should listen to them. Righteousness is a big word, right? To, to be made right before God, that they had a right standing with God. And those who also look down on everyone else. You remember these sins? They're not about another person. They're about us. I've caught myself more than once doing these things. So this parable is for me. This parable is for you. This parable is for our kids. This parable is for our grandkids. This parable is about us. And Jesus is going to invite us into this parable. And the parable has a way that it answers questions, it doesn't answer questions, it asks more questions, and we're like, oh, Jesus, just tell us, are we going to go to heaven when we die? Like, that's the question all people have all the time, right? And Jesus is like, well, who's talking about that? We're talking about pride. And so he begins to invite us into this moment where we're meant to feel the tension that the people who are listening are like, oh, boy, we got to kill this guy. I think he's talking about us now. So he says, two men, or women, by the way, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast uh, twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Jesus is like, introduces us to a person in the Bible. You need to really understand this, that this was the, this was the height of a spiritual leader in the Bible. People who heard this parable grew up learning that to be a spiritual leader that loved God was to be like this Pharisee. To be someone who prayed, to be someone who gave, to be someone who served, to be someone who fasted. And Lent, for example, a lot of these themes come to the surface. People are invited to fast and to pray and to give. All good things, by the way. But good things that can be twisted to be really about us. All about us. And so Jesus kind of introduces this moment and the context is really important here of this parable because both of these men are at the temple. Both of them have gone to be part of a prayer time where people would have gathered to pray in the temple just like we're doing now. It's not like a private prayer time. It's not just me and the Lord in my bedroom. It's praying in community and very quickly we know this because the Pharisee is staying away from certain people. 
He's like, I don't want to be around all these other people who are here praying today. Because in the temple, it was common, most rabbis and most scholars believe at least twice throughout a week or even sometimes some throughout a day, there were public prayer times where a sacrifice was made during that prayer time. And it was actually a time that when you went and prayed, at the end of that prayer time, the priest who prayed and offered the sacrifice would also pray a blessing of forgiveness and almost a prayer of atonement for the people who were there praying. And so you can feel that these two men who are there are there praying, and they're likely waiting for that moment when they feel that things are right with God, they can go back to their jobs, they can go back to their families, you know, kind of like that principle. And so the first person, the first person is this Pharisee, this person who says, you know what, like, I'm so happy that, you know, I'm not like these other people. I'm not like them at all. And, and I want to just remind you that something really, really important, that when we think about sin and when we think about some of these sins, we often think that sin is a problem because it might hurt us. And so if it's not hurting anybody else, it's nobody's business. This is one of the ancient struggles of talking about sin. People will say this even today. I find it's very, very common. Like, if it's not hurting anybody, mind your own business. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? You know, sometimes I'm like, well, it's not really hurting anyone. It's no one's business. And actually, the Greeks and the ancient world had a great myth that used to tell themselves about sin and about a person who gets to this place where they love themselves so much that they die because of just loving themselves to death. This is the great myth of Narcissus. Have any of you ever heard of this myth before? It's like a famous myth. Narcissus is this beautiful creature, half God, half human-like, we're not really sure, and, and everybody kind of adores how beautiful he is, and, they, and, and Narcissus is like, no, nobody can really love me, I'm too special. It kind of begins that way. And one day Narcissus is caught in this moment where he realizes he's so beyond being loved by normal people, and he catches a glimpse of himself in the water as he's by a lake. And you'll see a picture of Narcissus right, right on the screen. And as he's looking in the water, he sees himself and he falls in love with himself. Just loves how beautiful he is. And the myth goes that he cannot leave from paying attention to the gaze of himself in the water, and he dies there by the water because of loving himself so much. This is the kind of view of sin that as sin is just an individual problem. It's just narcissistic problem. He didn't hurt anybody. It's his problem. He died. He's selfish. Good luck. The Bible wants us to understand that sin is not just an individual private problem. The Bible wants us to understand that when we don't deal with sin, especially with pride, it leaks and it begins to change how we see others and how we treat others. And this Pharisee is a great example of not only being someone who thinks they're more confident than others in their righteousness, not only someone who looks down on others, but someone who begins to judge and look at others differently now because of their pride. This is why pride is so deadly. This is why pride grips us at such a deep place that not only does it destroy us from the inside out, not only does it convince us that we are the center of God's story, we should be the center of everybody's story, but then that we treat other people in a way that they're less important to God because they're not like us. Jesus has this one man who's a Pharisee, and then he tells us his next point. He says this, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breasts and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. These two moments. Pharisee, we can all kind of maybe associate with at times, and this tax collector that we can also at times maybe associate ourselves with. The, the tax collector in the biblical world would have been like, just think of the worst politician that you hate in your mind right now. There's a lot. If you need help, I have some pictures on the screen. 
No, we don't, but I'm just thinking. Worse, right? The tax collector would be that person. In the ancient world, to be a tax collector would be to be a liar, to steal, to take advantage of people, and to work for the government. And there's a moment where this tax collector is at the temple. Oh, what a moment. Found his way, people yelling, what are you doing here? You're a loser. You're a liar. I want my money back. God doesn't listen to your prayers. Jesus, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the tax collector does something in the parable that nobody expects. The tax collector has come and is acknowledging that they've messed up their lives. They, they don't even know where to begin. And all they could ask for is mercy and forgiveness and say, God, like something deep has to be healed in me, right? Like, I wish we knew more about the tax collector, right? Does he do what Jesus says? Does the prayer heal him? I wish we had more. But parables don't do that, right? But Jesus wants us to feel the tension of a Pharisee that everybody associates with and a tax collector. And everybody's waiting for the end of the parable because the end of the parable tells you what Jesus is going to... It's like the punch that nobody's waiting for. This is how it ends. Jesus finishes the whole thing. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can you imagine? People would have lost their mind. Are you telling us that the Pharisees, these religious leaders, the pastors, you're telling us that they're the ones who are the ones that are not living the way God would want them to? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That in this moment, he wants to highlight that pride is something that creeps into our hearts, whether you're a religious leader, whether you're a sinner, whether you're a tax collector, that if you're not careful, you can tend to be like, you know, I'm just going to do some external things and show others how, you know, I'm very spiritual and I'm right with God and I'm following all the rules and I can miss some very important things that God is doing. Because pride at its core makes us blind again. If Christianity is the statement of amazing grace that I was blind, but now I see, pride is the sin that blinds us again the way we were blind before we were saved. And if you want to take down any notes, just maybe feel this in the parable a bit with me, okay, before we wrap up. That in this parable, we learn about a Pharisee who's found a way that in a moment of prayer, as he prays, he misses the mercy of God at work in a sinner. Do you know how bad you have to get to miss that God is changing someone's life, that you're so proud that all you can think about is yourself? I've been in churches my whole life, and you know how many times I've seen people who've tasted of God's grace and never once show it to someone else who they don't like? It is mind-blowing to me. People who've gone through painful marriages and divorces have to show grace towards someone who's going through a divorce. No, no, no. They deserve what they get. And I'm like, what? Do you have the Gospel of Luke in your Bible? That pride has a way of blinding us from the joy of seeing someone else's life turned around. That in this moment of prayer where the Pharisee should have been the person as the spiritual leader to point people to God, to point tax collectors and people who had a messed up life like all of us back to God and to say, look, look, God is at work in the life of this tax collector. How amazing that God is changing the heart of a tax collector, not when pride is at work. 
When pride is at work, all you can see is that that tax collector is still not like you. Still not at your level. Still swears a bit too much for your liking. Still smokes all of the fruits that you like to pick on. And Jesus is like, well, what about the root in your heart that's blinding you to see that God is beginning to transform someone's heart? What about that? That's what pride does. When we don't deal with pride, we miss out on the joy of the miracles of seeing God slowly at work transforming people's lives. Just their things are turning around, not fast. We don't know if the tax collector is going to do revival service next week, but he's there now. And he's praying. And he's saying, God, you've got to fix this. We don't know. The Pharisee misses it. Us, we can miss it. The other thing that pride does in the parable is that it turns prayer into a weapon. Prayer becomes a tool that we use to talk to God and to remind ourselves and God that thank you for keeping me away from all these people who are not like me and they're all sinners going to hell. That the Pharisee is able to take a moment of prayer and deep repentance at the temple and to make it about how he is so special because he's not like other people. I have seen people use prayer as a weapon for so many years. Pride. Instead of making prayer something that leads us to humility, which destroys pride, it turns into something that we use to talk about others almost as a false humility because we care about them. You know, we're just trying to help them. Prayer becomes a weapon in a heart where pride is still there. And the last thing that, that I'll leave you just with a thought of, that in this moment where we don't deal with pride properly, sin becomes something that people out there have and not something that we have to deal with. Sin becomes something that, oh, people in the world, they're sinners, but we're all perfect in here. Let me just tell you, if that's what you think, just come spend a week with me. I grew up believing that lie for years, that if only I could stay safe in my church, uh, away from all the dangerous people up there who might do sin things because they're tax collectors, right, then everything will be fine with my family. And then you realize, wait a second, maybe I'm just paying attention to the fruit of a problem and I'm not paying attention to the root of something that's in me, just like it is in my neighbor, just like it is in my coworker, just like it is in all the people in the world that I thought, oh, just when I keep my distance, somehow sin is caught by proximity. This is the great lie of the devil, right? The great lie of the devil is like, oh, you're only sinful if you're around people who are sinful. But if you're by yourself and you stay away from those people, you're great. Jesus says, let me tell you that in this parable, the person who was aware of their need for God's mercy, who came to God with a humble sense of needing God to touch their lives, they went away justified. Now, the parable doesn't mean they went away and when they die, they're going to heaven. That's not what it means. It means that they are right in the way they approached God in that moment, seeking God in the right way. But the Pharisee, the Pharisee missed the whole thing. Do you know how scary it is? to read about people who spent their whole lives studying the Bible and teaching the Bible and to Jesus to use them as an example of how not to follow God? Can you imagine? It's like, think of the most spiritual person you know. Like, I was thinking about this for my sermon. I was thinking, like, imagine I tell you a story about Billy Graham. Do any of you know who Billy Graham is? He's like a famous preacher. They call him America's pastor. They, like, he's wonderful, he's a wonderful guy. Uh, and really transformed preaching in, in, the, in the world. Right? Imagine if I told you a parable, and at the end of the parable, I told you, and Billy Graham, he missed the point. All of you would be like, no, I 
have a t-shirt of Billy Graham. Like, I went to a crusade. Like, think of that feeling of being like, you picked on the person that I thought was the most spiritual person. Or maybe you feel that when people pick on me. You're like, our pastor, he's amazing. Right? Wrong. Okay. Some of you at home are like, yes, I'm feeling that. In the chat, pastor's amazing. We're dealing with pride. I'm dealing with it. We're working it out. But think of the most spiritual person you can think of. And then hear Jesus put them in the story and say, but them... They're the person who kind of missed it here. And the person you've taught yourself your whole life to say, they're never going to get it. They're a sinner. They're an outsider. They're a tax collector. Jesus says, by the way, they got it. It's like you showing up in heaven and being next to your coworker that you thought forever was horrible, and they're there. And Jesus is like, hey, they're going to go there. You're not going to make You're like, whoa, 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 what did I miss? Pride blinded us from seeing the truth. Pride blinds us from seeing what needs to be healed in our own hearts. Pride does so many things, and slowly what it does is it teaches us to love ourselves to death. That's what it does. So as we begin Lent, may we all together say that somewhere in us, pride is creeping up and ready and always at the center of reminding us, no, I'm just confident, I'm just, you know, just trying to be myself. I'm just trying to find myself, express myself, be myself. And all along, we're moving towards a cross that says, get ready to deny yourself. We have 40 days to get there. We're moving towards the place where to say yes to Jesus is to say, I'm here, and to have you and your freedom must require that I deny myself. And in that moment, you will teach me how to love you, right? How to love how to love who I am out of a place of being known by you, and then how to love my neighbor. How to love my neighbor in a way that is generous and caring and flows from this relationship with God. I wish there was an easier way of getting to the cross. I wish it was an easier tips for victorious living, 10 tips to save your marriage. A lot of people would have been here if we did that sermon. But, it's just, but there isn't, because we're dealing with Jesus. And we're dealing with the parables of Jesus that draw us to this place that remind us that all of us this week will be tempted to look down on someone else. They didn't think what we thought on certain things. They didn't raise their kids the way we thought. They're, they're acting in a way that's inappropriate. And maybe this week we will decide to say nothing about anyone else. And we will invite God and say, God, today I want to make a commitment that I need you to deal with the root of the problem that's in me, deep in me. And that as that gets healed in me, what might happen to each of us is that we would celebrate when we look at others and see God at work in their lives. See God maybe healing or transforming or changing them and notice something and experience the joy that comes of being those who are modeling humility, which is the way of Jesus. Let's just stand as we pray this morning. Jesus, you, uh, you had such a profound way of drawing us to a place of deep honesty. And we live in a world where uh, we have many tools to ignore the honest conversations. Many of us are prone to leave here and not to deal with the pride in our lives at all. 
we've gotten so used to just ignoring the deep truths of your word that are meant to transform us. So I ask you today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to not avoid the deep conversations that we must have, the deep moments of repentance that are required of us so that we can understand what it means that you taught us what it means to love God first and then to understand that we can love ourselves and our neighbors from that place. Wherever people are listening from, wherever they're watching from, would you keep us very sensitive to the ways that we are prone to loving ourselves to death, where sin becomes more about external things that we so easily talk about than the deep root of the problem, disobedience, and the things that we want on our terms that have nothing to do with your ways. In this moment of just silence, we ask you to speak to us. We can feel the distractions. Father, I pray that some of us would come to a place of loving what it means to be humble again. Not just avoiding pride, but seeking humility. Seeking ways of living our lives the way you modeled for us. Pray that as we go now, you would help us this week to pay attention to this particular sin and to the ways it's creeped up in our lives, in our church, in our homes. And help us to model a way of repentance that our kids as well, as they're learning about Lent, could enter in with us and see in us and talk about with us. And that we know that in these moments, you, Jesus, are glorified and the power of the Spirit is made very visible to them. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, we uh, are really grateful for a chance to do this. Next week's sin, it's going to be a juicy one. Stay home. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you all. God bless everyone. Remember, just as you pick up your children, just remember they're going to get like a little resource. Just as parents, take some time, at the right time that you feel led to just go that with them. And uh, no need to rush off. Just masks on. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. God bless everyone.